Karen and Megan. They're each handing out two separate sheets of paper that I want each of you to get, even if you say, well, we come with a family. No, it's one in per individual. I think we have enough. And, um, and I'll explain what those are in just a moment. So what they are handing out to you this morning are two sheets of paper. There's a bigger one, an eight, an eight by 11 sheet of paper. And on it, it says, read the Bible in a year. And then it says the month January. I, I figured that there was something special when we begin the new year on a Sabbath. And so I thought that one of the ways as the spiritual leader of this community, um, one of the things that we could do is try to read the Bible in a year. Now, I know some of you have wanted to do this, and so what I'm going to be doing is hopefully in the next couple of weeks, uh, Ned will help me to finish the rest of these. These are done. There's a, there's a reading from Genesis, from Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs, so it doesn't get you know just all the way through. And so it's going to be a fun way to mix it up, um, a way to keep your attention. And I encourage you, I am going to be doing this. Kim and I will be doing this. Um, we're going to be doing part of it, a, a way of doing this with our kids. Um, and so I encourage each one of you to do this. This will take immense amount of discipline, especially if you are a parent with kids. This will be not the easiest thing for you to do, but I encourage you to do it. Most of you are going to do extremely well for the first seven days, and on the eighth day, you might be tempted to drop out. That's just the way it is, right? Or you'll go a month, and it, I'm going to keep encouraging you. I'm going to keep asking you to keep doing this. If you skip a day, you can go back and read it or just go to the next day. But if you get too far behind, you're going to be tempted to just say, I'll oh, forget it. I already messed up. No, keep going. Okay, so that's number one. Number two is a smaller sheet of paper. And on the, on the top, it says, Awakening to the Endless Possibilities of God, Study Guide, January 1. What we're hoping to do from now on, as, as often as I am up here preaching, um, I, will be, I will be having these study guides to help you with um, following with the sermon. And so on the screen, there is, okay, on these sheets, there is um, fill in the blanks. The answers will be given to you on the screen, or as you're listening, you can kind of fill it in or you can guess, but don't go too far ahead. And what these are meant to do is that during the week, um, perhaps if you don't know what to study for Scripture or, you know, whatever it is, you can look back at these and kind of remember some of the teaching and some of the truths that we find in the Scriptures, and then hopefully you can put these together at the end of the year and, um, you know, give them to someone, recycle them, whatever it is, and, uh, and go from there. This is, a help, this is helping you guys to get around to it <laughs> um, for your spiritual journey. So let's... Um, I'm going to I'm going to bow my we're going to bow our heads and pray and then we're going to get started. Dear heavenly Father, we are thankful that we have the scriptures to teach us about who you are and about what you want from us. And so God as we pause for just a few moments this morning, um, we pray that you would teach us, that you would lead us deeply into a study of the scriptures and that what has been true for thousands of years would be true for us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, as you know, today is New Year's Day, right? And generally what happens on New Year's Day, as you know, um, people tend to make New Year's resolutions. And what happens is you share them with your family or with your friends and you say, this year my New Year's resolution is this. Or this year my New Year's resolution is to stop that. So what I did is I compiled um, 10 of the, of the top New Year's resolutions that, that we find. They're in no particular order. The first one a lot of people tend to say is, this year I'm going to stop drinking. 
uh, adult beverages, not drinking water. Another one is, this year I want to go back to school. It's a good resolution. This year I want to get a new job. This year I want to what? Lose weight or get in shape. That's a really popular one. Every time, I, I, I try to go to the gym on a regular basis, but what I find is going to the gym in January is the most annoying time of the year because you have all these people going there and it's just packed all the time because um, everybody's making a resolution that they want to get in shape. Um, and so sometimes those don't always last all the way. The next one, a really good one is, I, I want to get out of debt this year. And that's one that we may have all had at some point of our lives or will have. Another New Year's resolution is to manage stress. Learn to manage stress. Get rid of stress. Another one is, you know, this year I want to quit smoking. I'm trying to think if there's one more. Give me a second because I don't want to mess it up. Okay, here we go. Another New Year's resolution that is always a pretty good one is this year I want to save more money or, or actually have a savings. Do we, do we even know what those are these days? Um, another New Year's resolution is travel. I want to travel more this year. And then the last one I have is this year New Year's resolution is to help others. Now, these are all good things in them, in it, in them of themselves. I mean, these are, it's good to stop um, putting bad things into your body. It's good to help others. It's good to prepare for the future. It's good to be healthy. But I think that, as you may know, if you've made New Year's resolutions, ha have, how many of you have ever made a New Year's resolution, but you don't make it all the way through the end of the year with the resolution? I did. That's why I stopped making New Year's resolutions, because it just made me feel bad about myself. But the reality is, is that I think that the reason that we don't always maintain our New Year's resolutions is because we're looking at the wrong thing. So a lot of the times, the New Year's resolutions that we have, like the ones that we just put up on the screen, they're actually a symptom of something deeper. And so we try to stop certain things that are external, right? We try to eat healthier. We try to um, stop ingesting certain things. We try to do all of these things, but I think a, pro a part of it is there's something deeper going on within us, and before the symptoms, the New Year's resolutions, before those work themselves out, what we have to do is work with the thing that is happening deep inside of us. Does that make sense? There's something deeper within us. There is one author who says that we all have soul cravings, and his idea behind that is that we were all made in the image of God. We were all made to live a certain way, and so we, we are yearning for something. The problem is, is that we allow ourselves to get distracted by all these other things. We get enslaved to all these other things that don't give us life, but they take life away from us. And then every year we have to start a New Year resolution. I would also continue to say that the new year is a good time of the year. Because for most of us, we begin to think, well, now that a new year is beginning, it's almost like a fresh start. It's like we can hit the reset button of our lives, and then we can actually say, okay, this is going to be a better year than the last year. We hear that every time. This will be better than the last year. But why does the year before have to be a bad year? You see what I'm saying? We're always hoping for something better, but we have to learn to make our current situations better. And so, because some of our New Year's resolutions can be somewhat superficial, and I'm not against New Year's resolutions. If you have them, they're good. The first thing that I want to put your attention towards is this. Anytime that you do something to improve your life, here's a fill in the blank on that study guide, anytime you do something to improve your life, that is a what? It's 
thing. I'm just making a point that sometimes we have to address what's happening deeper within our bones. So I do, because I'm not fully against New Year's resolutions, I do want to give you one New Year's resolution that I think would be good. But before we get to that, there's a text that I want you to look at to kind of be the, to begin our conversation. Ecclesiastes 3, verses 12 and 13. Solomon, who is said to be the wisest man ever to have lived, he says, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil or labor or work, or in essence, in all that they do, this is the gift of God. For the wisest man ever to have lived, he didn't say it was for you to amass riches. He didn't say it was for you to move somewhere that's better than the place where you're at. For the person who, who in essence, was the smartest, wisest man ever to have lived, he says that the only thing you can really worry about in your life is that you eat and drink and find satisfaction in all that you do. Now, there's some of you in here thinking, I'm, I hate my job. There are some of you who are saying, my life is just so difficult right now, I don't even know what I'm going to do. I once heard a story of a lady um, who every Sunday when, we, when people gathered at this one particular place, and it's not church, but I can't say too many details. It's not no one from this community, probably no one you know, um, but she would get up there and say, sing this little song. You know, she had like three small little kids. Um, she was basically raising them by herself. Um, but she said, she would sing this little song, I hate my life. I hate my life. I hate my life. Th this was a woman who was in charge of leading little children. I mean, do, do you begin to see that sometimes we can get so caught up on negative things in our lives that we hope for something better and the reality is, is that Solomon, in the scriptures, he says, the, don't worry about amassing riches and being a successful superstar or whatever it is. He says, just worry about the simple things. Enjoy the fact that you have food and drink. That's why we pray. We pray before we eat because it's just a prayer of thanksgiving that says, today, thank you, Lord, that I will not go hungry. And the second part is learn to find satisfaction in all that you do. And so, lesson number one is this. Find satisfaction in your life. Find satisfaction in your life. Look for the good in your life instead of always looking for the negative or the bad things in your life. And one key reason why we can do this is the following text in Acts 17. It says, yet he is actually, this is talking about God, yet God is actually not far from each one of us. For in God we live, move, and have our being. Is that something to be happy about? The fact that the creator of the universe, last night we were here for the agape feast. It was amazing. A lot of people showed up. If you didn't show up, um, you have another opportunity to experience a little bit of what we did last night on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Be here. They said the men's and women's ministry, so I guess it's just going to be ministry because there's only men and women. Get it? No one gets that joke. Ugh. Killing it in my head in there. I thought it was funny. Um, the men and women's ministry, basically you're all invited to be here on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. They're going to be showing a video about the universe and about space and just about how 
immense and how beautiful and how amazing and how beyond our comprehension this is. So the God who creates everything, instead of him being somewhere far away beyond the galaxies, the scriptures tell us that this God who creates this whole everything, that it is in this God that we move and have and live. Another part of the scripture says that your life and mine is hidden in Christ, which means that God keeps our life. God is the one who, um, who keeps us safe. God is not a God who is far away. God is a God who is here in our midst. The interesting thing about this text is if you've been in the church for any amount of time, we've learned to say things about God. We have these phrases about God. And so this one, it says, he is not far from each of us. For in him we move and live and have our being. And so we, be, we, we begin to say certain things about that, that just means that God's always with us. Oh, that, that just means that God created us and he's walking alongside of us. But in the first century, this was a brand new idea. In the first century, when people talked about gods and deities, they were somewhere far, far away. And people had to sacrifice newborn babies sometimes just to get the gods to look down upon them. But the God of the scriptures from the very beginning, is a God who is not somewhere far away, but is a God who is where? With us. For believers, that was revelation. We take that for granted. We use words, and we just, you know, we talk about God, but the reality is we have to learn to live in a story, in a relationship with God. And so I would, I would, I would encourage you to remember that it is in Him we owe our entire existence to the God who makes everything. And as a result, we have the promise that God is not far from you. Whatever you may be going through, God is not far from you. It may feel like God is far away. It may feel like God is silent. But scriptures are clear that God is not far, but God is close. This is what makes the God of the Bible different from all of the other gods see you take you have taken this for granted just like i have taken this for granted and sometimes we have to be reminded that our god is a living god so let me ask you this question if you are in love with somebody or you love somebody whether it's your mom your dad your brother your sister your boyfriend your girlfriend your wife your husband whatever best friend do you want to be far from them sometimes your wife and husband right <laughs> <laughs> I know that. <laughs> so no. Kim is actually very sick this morning. She's, she's actually been in bed for the last like two and a half days. And so, um, so your prayers are welcome. She's this flu and it's not pretty. But um, I think she'll be okay. But sometimes, I mean, but, but when we love someone, we don't want to be far, right? No. Far, far away, what do you do? I've been, before I was married, I used to go on, on these um, trips to conferences with some of my church leaders from my old church. And, um, you know, I didn't have anyone back then, so I didn't call anyone when we were in the hotel room. But all of these men that I went with, we'd all kind of just hang out at nighttime. And then there came a point, like, like okay, I got to call my wife and tell her I love her and good night. And so then they would spend time talking to their wives, telling them how much they miss them and how they can't wait to go home. And so I, you know, I was single. So, you know, we would go to Nashville and, or Maryland, and I would say, well, hey, what if we just stay, like, a couple extra days? You know, we're already here. We're, you know, we're not going to have another time to come back. Why don't we stay a few extra days, you know, check out the sites. I have friends here. 
And all of them were like, oh, no, no, I, I can't wait to get back to my wife. And back then, it didn't make sense. Now, I realize when, when you love someone, you want to be with them. And if you can't physically be there with them, what do you do? You call, you text, you email, you Facebook, you do anything you can to continually connect with the person that you love. And God is the same way. And the way God connects with us, how? Through happy thoughts or happy feelings? No. It's through the Holy Spirit. God was present as Father in the Old Testament, right? In the Old Testament, we have stories of the God who is there in the fire, who is there in the clouds. God in the Old Testament is speaking to people. Um, he passes in front of them. I mean, God is visible in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, how do we have God visible? In who? In Jesus. In a man, in a human that we can see and feel and touch. But then Jesus says that, how, how did Jesus say God would then relate to us after he was gone? Through what? The amazing thing about the Holy Spirit that the other two didn't have is that the Holy Spirit is present everywhere all time. Jesus could only, Jesus was restrained to one geographical location, right? I mean, sure, he would like disappear here and show up somewhere else, but that was very rare. And yet the Holy Spirit is the one that it fills us and the peace that comes with the Spirit transcends the, the way we can understand how it works, which is a good thing, because then it's a mystery, and we don't know how God works, but we know that God does work, and God chooses to be with us, and a part of the way that happens is the way that Solomon writes, he says, enjoy the life that you have been given. It is a gift from God. Enjoy. Enjoy. In the New Testament, Paul, whenever he talks about, whenever he addresses fellow believers, what does Paul call fellow believers in the New Testament letters? Saints. He, does he call them sinners? Were they sinners? And yet he understood that they were actually saints. When was the last time you addressed yourself as a saint? Or your brothers and sisters as saints? And yet it's biblical. The fact that you are a sinner doesn't take away from the fact that you are a saint. We, th we think about saints as sometimes in some churches they have these statues of saints. Well, that's fine, but that's not what the Bible was talking about. It was talking about living, breathing people like you who are continually seeking, knocking, asking God to enter into your lives and show you the way to life and life everlasting. That's a saint. A saint is somebody who understands that their priority in life isn't to amass riches, to be wealthy, to be famous, but rather to live a life that is faithful to God in all things. And so a life resolution for you and me is this. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It is said that grace, wait, what is it? Um, grace is, sometimes grace can be cheap because we go and live our lives recklessly and do whatever we want to, and then we say, well, you know, God forgives us. And so you have a group of people who would say, well, that's cheap grace because now you're just taking advantage of it. You can't just live in reckless abandon and do whatever you want to because then you're abusing grace. Here, here's the thing. 
grace, the grace of God that, that God in the person of Jesus gives his life for us, it cost God everything. If you have a son, and again, when we talk about God as Holy Spirit, I cannot comprehend it, so I just use the language to try to understand, but I don't try to understand. It's too difficult. That's good. We want God to be more difficult to understand than we can understand, okay? Because if we could understand God, then he wouldn't be God at all. Do you understand that? So, if you have a son or a daughter or a puppy that you love a lot and it dies, it is painful. The fact that Jesus gives his life, it costs God everything, which means that for the person who lives recklessly, sinfully, badly, but they repent, even if it's at the end of their life, even if they repent and you think, no, nah, no, nah, that's just a Too bad. Because God's grace, because it costs everything, he will always forgive. It's in his nature to forgive. Grace was expensive and came at a premium to God. And he'll forgive you. And if God forgives you, he forgives the person that you think is worse than you because you're worse than somebody else. You know how that goes? If he can forgive you, he will forgive others too. And so our New Year's resolution is this, from the book of Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. This is, this is just a, a phrase, and we're going to look at the context in a moment, but it's walk, and this is in your study guide. This will be good. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it in your Bible. Whatever. It's number four. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, for some of you, you have these ideas. For some of you, when I read this, you're already saying, that's right, you need to live your life a certain way. If you're a Christian, you better be living your life this way. If you're a Seventh-day Adventist, you better be living your life this way. Before you get to that place, I want to show you what the Bible actually says about what it means to live a life worthy of the Lord, and then we can make a judgment. So, it goes on, and it says, this is Paul talking to the saints in Colossae. And so from the, from, that, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you to the church. Pretend we are the church in Colossae and Paul is Paul. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased praying for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So we want God, his Holy Spirit, to come to your church and continue to fill you continue to lead you. I want you to, and what Paul was saying is, I want you to keep doing what you're doing, and I want you to keep doing it forever. And then he says this, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. First of all, the knowledge of God's will, wisdom and understanding, leads you and I to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to God, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing the knowledge of God. So, in order to walk in the Lord, it to, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, it requires two things. Remember I said, there are some of you who are already amassing lists in your mind about what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's fine. You can have those in your mind. 
I'm just going to show you what the scriptures say. Is that okay? That's my job, right? To teach you, I mean, part of my job is to teach you scriptures, right? So this is what I'm doing. You wouldn't go to a doctor and tell him what he needs to know, right? Right? You go to a doctor, why? Because you're sick and you can't do it yourself. Why do you go to a lawyer? Because you don't have a law degree and you can't present yourself. You go to a professional. This sounds weird. I'm a professional. <laughs> I've been doing this for some years now. I spend a lot of time reading this. Now, you can have your ideas about what this means. That's fine. You're entitled. You're human. You're free. I'm going to teach you what the scripture says. And it's two things, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It's bear fruit in every good work. It means that in anything and everything that you do, continue to bear fruit. Now, I know you can't always do this. I get it. I've been there. I am there. But the truth is that, first of all, is you must continually be bearing fruit. In your life, on a daily basis, you must continually be bearing fruit, being loving, patient, kind, generous, forgiving, accepting, loving, forgiving, not being judgmental. Okay, that's the fruits of the Spirit, right? Long-suffering, perseverance, patience, kindness, compassion. So to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, you must be, and you can read it up in Galatians, you must be bearing fruit continually. Jesus says that if you're not bearing fruit, you're cut off, you're pruned, because you're dead. Okay, so you're bearing good fruit. And the second part is increase in the knowledge of God. Increase in the knowledge of God, which is why I've handed out the read the Bible in a year. This is a realistic thing. If you don't do this, you're not going to be a bad Christian. If you don't do this, I'm not going to come to your house and tell you you have to. This is a personal matter. I just read the scriptures and I had an idea. I, I had an idea that maybe one of the ways we can learn more about God is to read the Bible, yeah? There's a lot of other ways, okay? One of the other ways you can learn about God is talking to people who know more than you. Talking to people who have traveled a lot longer in the journey and listen to what they have to say. Reading books that talk about God. Other people who have taken the time to digest the scriptures, to study the scriptures. Read books that are talking about God. Listen to music that moves you deeply, that has some deep truths about God. Sometimes, yes, even sometimes, films teach us about God and his redemptive power. Be open to the Spirit of God. This is God's world. God can move however God chooses. And I guarantee you that God is continually choosing to enter into your life, which means that God will take any and every opportunity to fill you with knowledge. Amen? Bear fruit and increase in knowledge. Continually be exposed to who God is and that God is everywhere. And it continues. And this is probably even more important. We can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord because God has delivered, and this is in your study guide, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness, of sin, of darkness, right? So darkness always in the equated with sin. So God has delivered you from the domain of darkness and sin and transferred us, meaning you and me, to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have what? Is it we will have or it's we have? What is it? We some of you like to think we will have. That's wrong. We have 
redemption, which is the forgiveness of your sins. Which is why Paul calls you saint. You see, we think that we can't be called saint because we think to ourselves, well, I'm not good enough. You're right, you never will be. Get over yourself and allow the work of God to take place in your life. Is that clear? The reason that we can bear fruit and grow knowledge is because we are no longer under the power or the domain of sin and we are transferred to the kingdom, which is called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven that Jesus talks about because in that place we are redeemed and have redemption and are forgiven. This may be hard for some of you to hear. Some of you like to probably beat yourself up for being a sinner. That's fine. You can do that. I can't stop you. But as someone who has dedicated his life to serving God in the local church through reading of the scriptures, this is what the Bible says. You are forgiven. And so some of you may be thinking, well, well, I mean, what about the people that, you know, Oh man, wait. I, I don't want to I don't I don't want to say what I'm about to say because then it's divisive, so we can talk about it another time. But one of the things that so some of the issues that we face, how about this? Let's just wanna do it? Wanna be controversial? So some of the issues that we face in 2011. Um, well, well let's start easy. Does God forgive the person who drinks? Does God forgive the person who smokes? Does God forgive the person who breaks the Sabbath? Your answer has to be yes to those, right? Because we may not do some of those things, but we do similar things, right? That's just the, kind of the way it goes. Does God forgive the person who goes into a doctor's office and can't bring a child to life for whatever their reason is? Does God forgive those who ask for abortion? But see, that's, there's, that can, there's a condition there. You see, the thing is this. What's really, I, I'm not making a political statement. I'm just asking because this, this has to force us to ask this. If God forgives sin and we have redemption and forgiveness, if you are forgiven, if Jesus' death on the cross forgives you, you see, some of you are already thinking, but that's a worse sin. No, no, there isn't. No, there's no worse sin. You're all sinners. I'm a sinner. We're all, that's just the way it is. Again, like I said, I'm just telling you. I have to wrestle with the scriptures too because sometimes I don't like what they say because they go against what I want to believe. And so the other social issue that goes on, and I mean, I just, you want one more or no? And if you ask me to leave, that's fine. I know how to scrub toilets. <laughs> Does God forgive homosexuality? And so you begin to see how about I end with this? He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, the power of the evil one. And God has transferred you and me to the kingdom of his son. This isn't something that happens in the future. This is something that has been happening for 2,000 years I want to wrestle with the scriptures. I especially love to wrestle with the concept of forgiveness. I have come to the point in my life where sometimes I've done something and I tell God, I don't even want to pray and ask for forgiveness because it was just bad. 
And if I'm not, I and if you don't for, want to forgive me, I understand. I understand because I don't deserve it. Sometimes my forgiveness looks like that. Sometimes my asking for forgiveness is, I know I don't deserve it. So in your heart, if you choose to, God, I am thankful. If not, I understand. As the new year begins and sets in, as some of you, maybe some of you stayed up till midnight last night and you're going to go home and take a nap, whatever, do what you need to. I just want you to remember something. Start the year on the right foot where you are reminded that God is the God who forgives and redeems you and you have been forgiven and you have been redeemed because grace costs God everything. So don't cheapen it by trying to win it yourself. A, and second of all, take that understanding and live your life in such a way that gives glory and honor to God in all things. You may fail. <laughs> Welcome to life. But the person who understands this will get right back up and say, ha, I did this. See, now scratch it. Let's keep going. And you make things better. Life is redemptive. Make things better. Not because you want to be saved. Not because you want to get to heaven. But because you have been saved. Because you have been redeemed. Because you have been forgiven. And you do good because you bear fruit as a result of the seed that God planted in your life. You are made in the image of God. You are made to be better than who we are. You are made to be the perfect version of who you are. And God is working in you because he's already done the hardest part. I challenge you that your New Year resolution would be to walk in a manner that gives homage and praise to the God who has the power to forgive. Let's pray. God, we... Um, we <laughs> Sometimes we love to wrestle with the scriptures, God, and sometimes we just would rather it didn't say what it did. But we're thankful regardless of the fact that you are with us. We're thankful that you continue to teach us and slap us on the hand when we get it wrong. And, and sometimes we are led through very dark paths until we realize that there is light available. And for my friends, I was going to say dad, for my friends, father, who are here this morning, who are struggling maybe with something I said, I pray that your spirit would continue to work on each one of us, um, that we could find a deeper and better understanding of who you are. We just want to be faithful. Um, we want to be a church that really believes the message of Scripture, even when we don't like it. And so, God, we are thankful. We are blessed. Thank you that you're not like the other gods. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.